listening to the Unlimited Influence Podcast, episode 74. I'm your host, Samantha Riley, and can you believe that it's February already? Far out, the year is going so fast. One minute we're getting ready for Christmas, we're crazy busy and wrapping up the year, and the next minute it feels like we've blinked our eyes and Christmas and New Year is a distant memory and we're right in the thick of 2018 already. Oh, wow. I've been working with some amazing people already this year who really have decided that 2018 is the year that they're going to step up and play a bigger game. So is that you? Are you committed to playing a bigger game this year? Maybe you're a thought leader and you're currently an expert in your field and you're ready to up-level to a celebrity authority status so that your message gets to more people. Maybe you want to grow a world-class personal brand. Maybe you want to be known globally as a thought leader in what you do in your field. Well, if it's you, if you want some of that, if you want all of it, I love working with people that want it all, then um, I invite you to join my Black Diamond Mastermind. I have just opened it. I only have 10 spots available. If you would like to apply, if you're ready to get out of your own way this year and step into your zone of genius and make sure that your influence is unlimited, that it's getting to all the right places, that you're getting your message to all areas of the world, then head to samanthariley.global forward slash black diamond. If that's you, I invite you to apply. No obligation, just apply. And then if I feel like we're a fit, we'll have a chat and... uh, Yeah, let's just take it from there. Just like today's guest, Dave Sanderson, who is making an impact in people's lives every day. He's really embraced his unlimited influence. He shares his story about the day that he heard these words, grace for impact. Dave was on US Airways Flight 1549 when Captain Sully successfully landed the flight in the Hudson River in January 2009. Exceptional pilot, everyone's lives were saved, but it really, really changed the lives of the people on board that day. So I'm gonna chat to Dave about what it is that he's doing in his life and what he's doing with his second chance. So I invite you to listen and hear all of the gold, all of the value that Dave is about to share with you. Hey everyone, Samantha Riley here and I'm super excited to be welcoming today's featured guest, Dave Sanderson. Dave is an inspirational survivor, speaker and author. His thoughts on leadership have made him an internationally sought out speaker. When US Airways Flight 1549 or the Miracle on the Hudson ditched into the Hudson River on January 15, 2009, Dave Sanderson knew he was exactly where he was supposed to be. The last passenger off the back of the plane on that fateful day, he was largely responsible for the well-being and safety of others, risking his life in the frigid water to help other passengers off the plane. Today, he travels the globe sharing his inspiration and motivational leadership messages to help other people make a difference on how they do business and live their lives. Welcome to the show, Dave. I'm happy to be here with you, Samantha. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited and it's such a pleasure to be chatting with you today. I've got a feeling that we're going to be deep diving into all sorts of things. But before we get started, I'd love you to share a little bit about who you are and what makes you tick. Who is Dave Sanderson? 
Well, thank you. Thank you. So I, I, uh, I have over 30 plus years of experience in sales and sales management. Uh, after I graduated from the university, that's, I got into restaurant management and then went into sales for 30, 30 plus years. And then I also, during that time, had the honor and privilege of being on Tony Robbins' security team and his director of security. So I had the honor to travel with him and learn and absorb everything that he taught and uh, learn those intricate secrets that can lead a lot of people who would love to have. They hear it, but they don't do it. Unfortunately for me, I took it and absorbed it and actually used the strategies that he taught. So uh, about uh, five years ago, after the miracle on the Hudson, I uh, he he Tony was my biggest encourager to go out and start my own business and do my own thing. And he said that for many years while I was with him. And he, now was the opportunity. So about five years ago, I took the opportunity. And now I get to travel the world speaking and inspiring people, writing books, doing workshops, having my own um Flash briefing on, on Amazon Alexa, so I'm very honored and blessed to be able to do all these things. In addition to having a wife and four kids, which is uh, another whole another part of the world. Yeah, well, a wife and four kids on it, so not that I've got a wife. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, family family takes up a large part of our life as well. So to be able to fit all of that in is very impressive. So take us back to when you were working with Tony Robbins. How did you get to work with Tony Robbins? Because I know that there's many people in the entrepreneurial space that would absolutely love to have that opportunity. Yeah, that's one of the things that I think people who come and approach me ask me all the time. And I tell them it was just by, I was this canly dumb luck. I I was one of those people that, uh, you know, who went to a seminar back in the early 90s when he was, he was not just starting out, but he was starting to do his multi-big day events and I went to his multi-day event in San Diego, California, and I came back all fired up like most people do after one of his events. I actually did what he taught, and that year I became the number one salesperson at my company, which was a pretty large company at the time, mm-hmm. and still is. I lost 30 pounds uh, by doing the things and taking care of my body, and, and and all of a sudden I started making money and all these things. So I said, you know, if I could get that out of one four-day seminar, what else can I do if I go to more? Mm-hmm. So I started going to his seminars and then I started volunteering because, you know, at that point it's getting pretty costly. And I did have a wife and a new child and another one on the way. So by that time I had to figure a strategy out to be able to go, but but not have to pay the full boat. Mm-hmm. So I started volunteering and it was back in what, about 1995, 19, probably 1996 when it happened. I was volunteering at his event in Maui, Hawaii. And I was one of those people, Samantha, that was at midnight putting the brochures down while everybody else was going to bed. Mm. You know, it's just doing the volunteer stuff, right? I mean, I was there to serve and that's what I was there to do. But that night, his former wife had a couple gentlemen sort of talking to her and she didn't look like she felt comfortable. And I just went up to her and I said, Mrs. Robbins, I think your husband needs you in the back. And she said, thank you. And I walked her back. She said, you handle that pretty well. Would you like to be on Tony's security team? I said, it's a lot better than handing out brochures. <laughs> so, um, you know, so she put me and he put me, I guess she, he technically put me, but she put me at the back door of his green room. And for three and a half days, all I did was watch what he did and wow. make sure no one got in his room. I just watch and observe. And so I, I gained trust with him. And then he asked me to be on, you know, have his back on the left side of his stage. So for two or three years, that's all I did. I go to the events. I sit on the back on the left side on the steps and make sure no one got his back. And then I got I got more trust with him and he put me on the right side of the stage managing the stage with him. And then and at, uh, about five years later, I became the assistant head of security. And then next year I became head of security traveling and 
making sure I handle all logistics. So it was just by helping and supporting his wife that gave me that opportunity. And I think that's sort of a metaphor for, you know, for life. If you, if you go out with a level of service, focusing on outward instead of what's in the personal significance for me, things happen, good things happen in your life. And that's what happened to me. And unfortunately for me, you know, Tony and I became good friends. And the last time we played golf was actually in Sydney, Australia. We, uh, we played golf together and we had that one time we had spent 18 holes just being guys and talking a lot. I've learned a lot from uh, just being around Tony. And what a beautiful city to play golf in. <laughs> yes, it was beautiful, but it's hard to drive around a rush hour. I'm going to tell you right now, if you don't know about Sydney and here an American trying to drive on the other side of the road through rush hour, it was a, it was a learning experience to say oh, yeah. it that way. Yeah, Sydney, Sydney roads are not very friendly. If you haven't been to Sydney, the roads are, they're not the big freeways that you see in other parts of the world. But anyway, we're tight. not, we're not right. here to talk about the traffic and the yeah. bad traffic. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love what you shared there and it's exactly what I pulled out from the story as you were speaking is that when we come from a place of service, the universe provides and normally I say that, you know, you, you've got to come from that place, place of service without expecting anything in return. But what I loved about it was that you, you know, right at the beginning when you couldn't afford to go to Tony's workshops or his seminars, that there was a that entrepreneurial spirit of, okay, so I don't have the resources to do this right now, so I'm going to tap into my resourcefulness to make this happen. You know, what a, a beautiful opportunity happened which I'm, I'm guessing was quite a few years that you worked with, Tony. I did. It was, it was 12 years I had that, that honor and do that. What you just said is exactly not only what sort of the strategy I used then and now, but what not down the Hudson River. So it, what Tony teaches, it's not about the resources that you don't have. It's about the resourcefulness that you do have. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's what most successful people and entrepreneurs I get to speak to and work with and is talk about that. It's because you know, a lot of us have limited resources, mm-hmm. but those folks who have who can figure out the different ways to get things accomplished, the creativeness and the thought process and the mindset are the ones who really make uh, make a big splash. Yeah, and I think that there's a lot of people that don't realize, uh, you know, we look up to these gurus or, or people that, that we perceive or see as successful and just think it's so much different for them. They've got, you know, it's fine for them. They can go flying around the world because they've got the money or it's fine for them because they've got the money and they've got access to those people. And they don't realize that those people are where they are because of the resourcefulness, because they're constantly thinking out of the box and doing things that the general population wouldn't do. That's right. That's exactly right. And Tony tells that story about when he was in Milwaukee early in his career, right? And he was in Milwaukee here to do an event and his his former house uh, sitter called him and check in and he said how things going and she, she says great i'm sitting in your whirlpool right now just got done lifting your weights thank you so much for giving me this opportunity he's saying he's here thinking here i you know she's having a lifestyle but i'm putting the effort in but you have to do you have to push those weights to get mm. that get that build that and it's all about that right it's about putting that time in because so many people right now samantha especially millennials that i speak to want that immediate gratification mm-hmm. and no one got to anywhere they're at Without having to put put the, that time in, invest mm. that time to get to get that result, mm. and not just time. There's some re- there's some real hurdles that you have to go through because something that I've picked up from every single interview that I've done on this podcast or wherever I've been interviewing people, the moment that is the trajectory of changing someone's life is a point that someone has a hundred percent of the time always had their back against the wall. It's been something major that has 
put them on a different trajectory and change their life. And I'm guessing that this is what happened to you also. You were working with Tony and then you were on US Airways flight 1549 one day and I'm guessing that that has a massive, had a massive effect on where your life is now. Most definitely. I was still working for my former company, Oracle. I was a sales manager with Oracle responsible for, you know, a large section of that, that section of their business. And that's why I was traveling that day. In addition to serving Tony and doing what I was doing with Tony, in addition to having a family. So I was uh, trying to serve a lot of masters. And so I was uh, heading home that day. And when, when he, when Captain Sullenberger said those famous words, if you saw the movie Sully, this is your captain brace for impact. That's when sort of, sort of the moment you knew that probably you weren't going to come back. And all of a sudden those things rush through your mind, but then you're giving a second, given a second chance. And all of a sudden now, what are you going to do with that second chance? And that's when I think the light bulb went off is when I got out and came home and I had, had that eye opening experience. It's like, you know, maybe, um, maybe all these things that I was doing, I needed to go through that to get to this point to be able to take this moment and impact other people's lives. And I think that that, uh, that I had a situation that happened the following Sunday at my church that sort of was my uh, slap across the face and woke me up to do that. And that's why I do what I do. And if I can impact somebody's life every day, because I was impacted that day, I shouldn't be here talking to you right now, Samantha. Mm-hmm. Can't leave. Yeah, I, and if you saw the movie, if you know anything about the backstory of that, none of us should be here. But we do have that chance. So what are you going to do with that chance? Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what I'm doing right now. Um, it was a fabulous movie, and the, the fun—I haven't told you this, but I'd only watched the movie the night before you and I spoke. Someone from your team reached out to me, and I was like, "This is crazy! I just watched this wow. movie last night, and it was—it was a brilliant movie, and it got my mind going to a lot of different places. And I wasn't even on that aircraft. So my question yeah. to you is: at that moment that you heard that message from the captain, what went through your mind? Well, the first thing I did is I prayed. I prayed through for three things, Samantha. The first thing I prayed is I hope that captain just gets me down to one piece because uh, he had just crossed over the George Washington Bridge when he said that those words. And he, um, yeah, when I looked out the window, I was in C-15A. So when I looked out the window at that moment, people were on the bridge were looking up at us. And I found out later he only cleared the bridge by approximately 400 feet. Oh. And the bridge is approximately 600 feet up. So he was roughly at 1,000 feet at that moment in time. So, you know, I just, at that point, it's like, just get me down on one piece. And the second thing I prayed for is the last person I spoke with, who was my client who lived in Brooklyn, New York, that called my wife, told her I loved her. But the third thing I was, I prayed to God to forgive my sins. Because right now, there doesn't look like there's much hope. Mm. And hopefully, if I'm going to go out, at least I have a clear path to get to a better place than where I'm at now. And then at that, I tell people that last moment, and I, a lot of the passengers and I've had this discussion, it's that last moment, that last 60 seconds when you think you're going to die is when your movie of your life passes before your eyes and you sort of all of a sudden see things from years in the past that you had seen in 30, 40 years. And, and all of a sudden you get clarity and it's like, this is what my life's all about. So, you know, and you just say, if I get another chance, hopefully I'll do something with it. So that last moment is, is like a surreal. I talk to people who are, who are in the hospital or who've gone through those heart attacks or strokes and they're think they're, they may not survive. They have those same things. It's like their, their whole movie of their life passes before their eyes. It's just incredible because I've never been involved in anything like that. It very blessed. I've never been in any bad accidents or had any bad illnesses and, you know, people say, make sure that you live your life so you don't have regrets because you don't want that 
you know, that highlight reel that you see at that time to be playing the wrong things. And I think that that's a really important message. And even though we hear it, I guess living it would be complete, would give you a completely different perspective on that. It humbles you. It really does humble you. It's like, you know, you, you, th- you think you're doing the right things and you hopefully you're doing the right things. But then all of a sudden you realize maybe I didn't invest the time where I should have, where primarily I should have been with my family. I'm more focused on making money and things like this. And all of a sudden, the only thing you really have close to you is your family. So it really helps you reprioritize your, your life. Mm. So when the, when the plane went down, you have said that you were one of the last people off the plane. No, this is to me just I can't imagine the the courage that would have taken and obviously, you know, that leadership just you just went clicked in. Can you yeah. tell us about the thought process of of obviously you've gone into a different mode there, just to make sure yeah. that everyone's safe. Can you please take us through that? Well, thank you very much. I think Everything I, got, everything I learned and I trained for came into play at that moment because when we got down, Samantha, candidly, my first thought was aisle up out. I mean, that's I said, get to the aisle, get up and get out. But when I got to the aisle, something happened to change that course of action. It was I heard my mother talking in my head, and she had passed away in 1997. But she would tell me something when I was a child. It just all of a sudden had in my head. It said, if you do the right thing, God will take care of you. And one of the things about my mother, which I learned after this, is that she never told us what to do. She'd always give us the option, have us make our own choice. And, you know, hopefully she instilled enough right values that we we would do the right choice, but it was up to us. And the right choice for me was to help other people first. And so I went towards the back of the plane. I climbed over the seats, get to the back of the plane and got behind everybody. And there was one elderly lady. You saw the movie. You may have seen the the lady who played her was having a little difficulty getting out. So a couple of ladies did a tremendous job of getting her moving. I got behind them and, at that point, uh, it's pretty dark in the back of the plane. The, the bins had broken open because of the impact that we were waist deep in the water. So it was pretty challenging trying to get out. But all the further I could get up was 10F, the exit door on the right. And I started going out. And then all of a sudden, I looked out and there was no room on the wing or the boat for me. And that's why I was inside the plane waist deep in 36 degree water for about uh, about seven minutes. Wow. That's huge. I love that you've talked about making decisions and I'd love to tap into this because a lot of people, their children get to the end. I noticed that a lot when their children get to the end of school and they don't, and the, and the, the students don't know what to do with their life. And I'm noticing it more that they're really struggling to make decisions. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because I was having a conversation with someone about it the other day saying that I don't feel that we give children the opportunity to learn how to make decisions. And I find it really interesting that you just said that your mother didn't ever tell you what to do. She always gave you decisions. So you were learning from a very early age how to make those decisions. What is it? That's that's right, Samantha. That's exactly right. What is it that you think – helps you to make a right decision that's i mean that's a pretty open question i understand that but i'd love your take on that well i i would tend to agree with your friend but i think and i'm i'm guilty of this too i have four kids and we've probably given our kids way too much but one thing that my wife and i both agreed upon is we let our kids make the choice and they had to live with their decisions and to the point where i even had one one of my daughters who got uh, picked up by the police because she had an open container of alcohol when she was 17 years old. And I told her, I'm not going to bail you out of the jail. 
Mm. You go stay there and you're going to, you have to figure this out. And when you have community service, you're going to have to do community service. And so I think we don't give our kids enough opportunity to make those decisions because we don't want them to make the wrong decision. But I think it comes from the, I think it comes from your family's values. I really, I grew up in the sixties and seventies where, you know, my, my parents had gone through the world war two and Korean war where you, you know, your parents or your father or grandfather were, may have been overseas doing their thing in the war. And so the mothers had a lot of influence and had to instill values into their kids. And so that's what sort of happened to me. And I think uh, right now, the, the biggest one of the biggest gifts we can give to our children is allow them to make mistakes. You know, I've my because I made a lot of mistakes and my dad held me accountable to those mistakes. And I, I, and I you look back as back then, it was like, my, I can't believe my dad's doing this. And, you know, he's what a jerk. And but, uh, you know, that came to fruition for me. It sort of it was a light bulb for me, Samantha, right after the plane crash, because I had a 16 year old daughter. And she's the one who actually got the phone call. Uh, and I left a voicemail about I was I was on the ferry at that point. I still wasn't on shore, but someone put their phone up to my face and call your family. And I called my wife and my daughter left me go to the answer machine. I said I was in a plane crash. So she had to communicate this. And wow. I don't know if you've ever had a 16 year old daughter, but they mm. sometimes don't get along with their mothers and fathers. They have, uh, you know, we were going through a pretty challenging time. But she, uh, yeah, she got to be in People Magazine with me, and she all of a sudden started realizing and. You know, maybe I've, I've overjudged my dad. And what happened was eye opening experience. This is why I think we gave her last year to make a lot of wrong decisions. Um, but we were always on CBS uh, on the five year anniversary. And they were doing a piece on me and the family and they were spending a few days with us. And my daughter was interviewed and she said that. First thing she said is, I thought my dad was a jerk. And I'm sitting there going, oh, my God. But then, <laughs> then she said, I found out he was pretty cool. And. I think that came from me and my wife, both of us, giving her the latitude to make those some of those calls she made that candidly weren't really wise. It didn't cost her much, but it cost her enough. Um, and she had anger, and she all of a sudden realized maybe that's what my dad and mom were doing. It's making me go through this pain early so I can start making better decisions later. So mm-hmm. I think that's that was something we did. And we tried to model, and candidly, we, we do it as you we try, but and you only hope that you can get it do it right, but sometimes you make mistakes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The kids do not come with a training manual. It would be so nope. much easier if they did, right? <laughs> yep, exactly right. They were all just the same, cookie cutter, and this is the way we're going to do it. It'd be ideal. Each one, though, is uh, very unique. Yeah, I often tell people I don't know how my three children are still alive. <laughs> They're the roughest yep. mum out there. <laughs> Just get them. Just get them past twenty-one in their lives. Like I've done my job. Yeah, you yeah. Know? I'm good now. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Give me a grandchild, and I'll be okay. Right? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. If your kids are listening, mum wants mum wants a grandkid. <laughs> That's right. Yes. So um, leadership—it's something that we need as entrepreneurs to be able to run our team, to be able to steer our business ship, I guess, uh, in the in the right direction. What are some tips that you can give us about being a good leader? Well, thank you, because my one of the things I really focus on when I speak now is it's called about cultivating personal leadership. Because one of the things I realized after the the miracle on the Hudson is there's a lot of people out there talking about corporate leadership and team leadership and on tour being a leader in the entrepreneurial business, and that's all good stuff. But it starts from within. You have to be able to lead yourself first. And so one of the things that I, I learned. 
is, uh, and I did this when I was at the honor to escort General Norman Schwarzkopf, the gentleman who led the war in Iraq, first at war Iraq, and I had to be with him. He he told me something. It, he he had to focus in his leadership, focusing people on the mission. So one of the things I teach about, especially to entrepreneurs and business leaders, is yeah, the great leaders are the ones who set the mission and step back and let other people execute the mission, course correct if need to, but let keep reminding people why we're doing this thing, the purpose of why we're doing this thing. Second thing I tell people and talk talk to people and learn is about you know real leaders have certainty, you know, and one of the things I, I you know you talk I talk about is you know when that moment comes right. And the person who steps up in that moment, it doesn't if you're all of a sudden the person with the most certainty is the one who becomes the leader. And it may be the CEO of the company, but it may be the janitor. And all of a sudden that, that played out on the plane that day, Samantha, because you know, people stepped up, leaders stepped up, and Kaylee, you may not even thought they were a leader. And hopefully I was seen as one of those, but you know, all of a sudden you you instill certainty into people. And that's what people are looking for right now is uh, somebody give them certainty because there's so much uncertainty right now in the world and especially the United States with uncertainty. So great leaders instill certainty. Um, and they also, and then also they focus everybody on the team and you know, they never, they never take people down, you know, in a team. In fact, they, you know, they do that one on one, but it's always about the team and giving people that perspective of the team. So, you know, I, I that's one of the three or four things I really talk to people about leadership, especially an entrepreneur who you're starting a company and you're you're trying to get a lot of things. You have to have that mission and people have to buy in the mission. And candidly, Samantha, on my little team, when I had some people who didn't buy in on the mission, they weren't with me too long because, mm-hmm. you know, and they were more in it for personal significance. And I'm not about personal significance. I'm mm-hmm. about connection and growth and contribution. So. And you can figure that out pretty quick. And that's why I tell people, you better figure out, because the, the metaphor of the plane, having the right people on the right seats on that plane made all the difference in the world that day. Mm. Because if you had anybody who was in the wrong place at the wrong time, who could have been causing a challenging situation, all of a sudden your focus is taken off of the outcome, which is survival. So now we got to deal with somebody who's freaking out. All of a sudden, now things could happen, happen very differently. So yeah. getting the right people in the right seats on the plane, I tell people, is critical. Mm. It's part of leadership. If you can do that, then you're you're doing a pretty good job. Mm, I love that. So how can we choose? Like, how do we know that we've got people in the right seats on the plane? Well, number one, one of the questions that I learned, I learned this from Tony, and I use this in pretty much every sales uh, interview that I ever did. And that's why I was sitting in the CFO and CEO suite while everybody else was sitting in the director of ITC suites. And no one could ever figure this one out. But I always ask him two questions. Tony taught me what's most important to you and what has to happen for you to realize that. And I ask people that because all of a sudden you find out what their values are. And if you understand what their values are and what they have to do to get that value, now you understand what drives that person. So that person's driven, you know, they may be driven by money and that's great. But they may not be the person you want in front of somebody that's important. Or if you have somebody who's you find out that you know serving and contribution is their key thing, and they the way they do that is being able to give all they can and show up early. And now I want that person by a customer service person. So I ask those two questions. When I have somebody who who wants to be on my team or wants to even right now, Samantha, to the point even around me, because up to the point now where if you know you sort of got to watch your time. Mm-hmm. Um, is what's most important to you and what has to happen for you to realize that those two questions will unveil un- unveil that person's key value. And all of a sudden you'll realize how, uh, how you can put them or if you need to put them as part of your team. Mm. Values are so important. When your inner compass is off and things aren't aligned, it just doesn't work because those no. values are in us. 
It's not something that we can put the mask on and pretend we're something else. It's we are living those values. And, and, and one of the things that I learned and is so true is, you know, I look for people and I knew Tony looked for people when I was with him around who are congruent, mm. who, you know, who, who are having their alignment with what their values are and project those because you can sniff that out pretty quickly. Mm. And if someone's incongruent with their life or, and, and or inauthentic, uh, that person's values are may not be in alignment with what your outcomes need to be for what you're trying to accomplish. Mm, totally. Now, you've written a book, I believe, Moments Matter. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I, I thank you. Yes, I did. So about now it's about going on two and a half, almost years ago. I was uh, getting asked to do books and this and that. I I was a contributor to one book called Brace for Impact. But what happened was I was actually home one day and we had a neighbor. At, uh, they were neighbors down the street and they were two elderly ladies in their eighties. And I don't know if you've had neighbors, Samantha, that you know, and they call you and they're in their eighties or nineties and they they need help and it's like you're a neighbor, right? You go down mm-hmm. and you help your neighbor. Mm-hmm. So I went down. They they needed help with their, getting their TV on. All right. So, okay, I'm good at good at pretty good at TV stuff. So I walked down the street and went in and I helped them get their TV up. And so they say, can you stay for milk and cookies? And who's going to turn down milk and cookies? <laughs> yeah, right. Older ladies, right. <laughs> I, I would never do that. You know? And so while I was waiting for these cookies, uh, I, they had on their coffee table, I had these books and I started flipping through these books. And all of a sudden I started seeing pictures of concentration camps in Germany. Wow. And I'm like looking at these books. And so when they came out, I said, where did these come from? She said, they both said we were there and they showed me their forearms and I saw their numbers on their forearms. I was blown away. Yeah. So I said, you have to let me record your story. I mean, I mean, they're eighties. They may not make it much longer. All these stories have to be recorded. Mm-hmm. They said, no, no, we don't want to tell you the story. No, no, we don't want to record. I said, okay. So I came back and about probably four or five months later, my then assistant said, you know what? You need to record your story for your grandkids and grandkids because you may not be around. So we spent nine hours on the on the phone. She lived up in Virginia Beach, Virginia, mm-hmm. on the phone recording every moment from that day and the day after. Every moment. I went from – and all of a sudden we're sitting there, we got a book. And all of a sudden we started realizing there were all these lessons and strategies that I did and other people did that really translate to business and personal life. And that's how the book Moments Matter came. And I was sitting there with my with the person who was helping me, Cindy, and we said, what are we going to call this thing? And I just blew out. So, you know, one of the things I realized through this entire process with the plane crash afterwards, I said, I figured out that every moment in my life really mattered. That I, the moments I'd never thought mattered, all of a sudden, maybe that one moment when I was 12 years old and I had to swim across the river with my backpack on and Boy Scouts, maybe I needed that moment to be able to jump in the river, the Hudson River that day and swim in 36 degree water. Maybe all these moments in my life mattered. And I'll say, that's it. We figured out that every moment, everything that happened, all your moments in your life matter. And that's how the book came about. Mm, and what a brilliant, brilliant message really to share because moments really do matter. And sometimes it's the moments that we consider bad moments or you know, tragic moments in our life that actually do have the most impact with what happens in our life afterwards. Most definitely. I just wrote a blog today about it's called Suffering into Purpose. Uh, I referenced Victor Frankl. It's about people have to go through suffering with purpose to be able to get an outcome. And, and I talk about it in a different way. The, the terminology I use, Samantha, is everybody has to, is going to have a personal plane crash in their life. And it's about how, what kind of meaning do you attach to that is going to determine your outcome. Mm, oh, amazing. It's been so awesome to speak with you today, Dave. How can people get a copy of your book and how can people stay connected with you? 
Well, I'm honored. Thank you very much, Samantha. So they go on Amazon. I, they can get the Kindle version and or the physical version on Amazon now. I'm really honored to do that. If they want to get in contact with me, my website is DaveSandersonSpeaks.com. I have, as you, I've, I've referenced, I have no personal assistant right now, so yeah, it comes right to me. So that's the easiest way to book time with me or want to interact with me. But on Facebook, my page is Dave Sanderson Speaks and check that out. I give a lot of my content there and, and Twitter is Dave Sanderson too. But a lot of my business insights and these strategies I talk about, I put on LinkedIn. And my, my name is David Sanderson. But I tell you what, the latest thing I'm doing, Samantha, is uh, on Amazon, they have this uh, thing on have Alexa on the Echo product and it's called a daily flash briefing. Mm-hmm. And I was I was approved a few weeks ago and I now I have my own daily flash briefing on Amazon. It's called Dave Sanderson Declassified. And I, so I give daily content out, these little tidbits that you and I talked about in more about five-minute formats. And it's amazing to be able to have the reach. So check that out, too, if you have that. Or if you don't have an Amazon Echo product, they can go to my website, and it's under my, my blog, and you can listen to it on my website. So that's those are probably the easiest ways that uh, you can get in touch with me. That's awesome. And all the links, of course, will be over on the page, on the show notes page, so that you can click straight through to stay connected with Dave. Thank you so much for sharing your story today, for sharing your your wisdom and your tips. And I thank God that you're here and you're spending time with your family and sharing your message with the world. And I'm very honored and blessed to have had you on the show today. Thank you so much, Dave. Thank you, Samantha. I'm honored to be with you likewise. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Unlimited Influence Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about how we can help you to embrace your unlimited influence, or if you'd like to hear previous episodes of the Unlimited Influence Podcast, head over to samanthariley.global.com.